1: need to be people who are merciful we need to choose to walk in mercy rather than in vengeance and you know what it is a choice in our life we choose to live and to walk in mercy we don't come up and say oh lord i'm not a merciful person please change my heart and make me merciful no we need to put on mercy we need to choose to walk in mercy
0: None of us would know God or follow Him on our own. It is only because of the Lord's great mercy and grace that we have become His children. In today's message from the Gospel of Luke, Pastor David admonishes us to be merciful. Showing mercy to others is not an option. We cannot wait until we feel like being merciful. For if we wait until the emotions come, we will wait forever. Instead, Christ's disciples are to put on mercy like a garment. We are to forgive others just as we have been forgiven. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, The Believer's Walk.
1: just a few days before Christmas back in 1995. And Ruth Ann Whitaker, a mom, a wife, went into the beauty parlor to get her hair done for Christmas because a lot of family was coming by. Ruth Ann was also a believer. She was a Christian woman, loved the Lord. And what she didn't understand as she went into the beauty parlor that morning was that she wouldn't walk out. Because shortly after she was there and Going through the process of getting her hair done, two armed men came into that beauty parlor down in Sierra Vista, Arizona to rob the beauty parlor and the patrons. And in the midst of gunfire during that robbery, several people were injured, but Ruth Ann lost her life. If you were her husband, if you were one of her daughters or her sister or her mom or parents, How in the world could you find the mercy to even care about that man that killed her? It was October 2nd, 2006, in a small little Amish community, nickel mines in Lancaster County, uh, Pennsylvania. And on that school day, on that one-room schoolhouse, a man by the name of Charles Carl Roberts, backed his pickup truck to the front door of that school, forced some of the children to carry some of his weapons into that school, took ten young girls, ages 6 through 12, as hostages. While he was in there, he ends up shooting ten of those girls. Five of them died, perished that morning. How in the world could you as a dad, as a parent, as a brother or a sister, how in the world could you ever find room to forgive someone like that, of of such a heinous crime, young little innocent girls murdered? As we've gone through the book of Luke, and we're in Luke this morning, in chapter 6, we've seen how god works and moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform we've seen not only as we've gone through verse by verse and chapter by chapter in luke that that god moves and works in ways that man quite often don't make any sense at all to us but then he's god And he works in ways that we can't understand in our limited mortality, our limited understanding, and the fact that we can barely understand today. We forget about what happened tomorrow or yesterday, and we have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow. Yet he's God, and he knows all of these things. We understand that our God often moves in bizarre ways. And here this morning in Luke chapter 6, we're going to continue on in this section where Jesus is addressing his disciples, not just the followers. There were multitudes that followed, but here Jesus turns his attention on those who would be disciples, those who actually sought to be his pupils, to be students. And that's the true meaning of a disciple. This is where we find in in Luke's version of Jesus' ministry, Luke's version of the Beatitudes, and there. Again, they're not teachings for the general masses. They're they're teachings for those who would be and who were true disciples. And for someone to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, they have to adhere to his teachings. As a disciple of any teacher would be, in order to truly be a disciple, you have to adhere to those teachings. They would have to adapt their thoughts to the thoughts of the master. They would have to transform their concepts of the world to the concepts of the master. They had to redirect their lives. Instead of walking after their own plans and desires, they had to surrender it to the leading and the direction of the master. They needed to be in harmony with the one that they called master, teacher, and Lord. And when we looked at these previous verses in this section, we spoke about how, again, Jesus' teachings were primarily, he was, was, was teaching the difference between the haves and the have-nots. Remember when we spoke about that, the haves were the ones that had eternal life in Christ. The have-nots are the ones that do not have eternal life. And that's the difference of what we see in the very concept of what Jesus is teaching and the direction that he's teaching. And so we can say today that a true disciple of Jesus Christ is very different than those who are false disciples. Their lives are different, their directions are different, their focus is different. These that we'll be looking at and that we've already looked at, these are the attributes that ought to be a consistent and a growing part of those who would be called Christians, those who would take on the name of the Lord. And as Jesus is teaching those that would be his disciples, we come to this section here in Luke chapter 6, begin this morning looking at verse 36. Luke 6, verse 36. Jesus here, again, speaking to his disciples, he says, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. And he says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. This first aspect here that he speaks about mercy, that's that's one of the attributes of God. Our God is Merciful. And I believe that it's an attribute that probably most all of us ought to be extremely thankful for. Amen? That our God is merciful. Let's face it, if God wasn't merciful, your pastor wouldn't be here. And I dare say that, okay, none of you would be here. Okay, None of us would be here outside of the mercy of our God. Jesus is once again speaking about how we, being God's children, we who claim to be His children, we need to show the same characteristics or attributes of our Father. And since our Father is merciful, we who claim Him as our Father, we need to be people who are Merciful. We need to choose to walk in mercy rather than in vengeance. And you know what? It is a choice in our life. We choose to live and to walk in mercy. We don't come up and say, oh Lord, I'm not a merciful person. Please change my heart and make me merciful. No, we need to put on mercy. We need to choose to walk in mercy. Listen to the description of God that King David gave in Psalm 103. I'm going to begin down in verse 8. You can look at it later. But David says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Amen? Amen. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame, He remembers that we are dust." As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place rem- and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children's. Now, if that's the kind of mercy that our Father has isn't that the kind of mercy that we ought to be walking in? If that's the kind of mercy that you and I have received from the Lord, how much more should we show mercy to those that are around us? We as Christians, above all other people in the earth, we need to be merciful people. Above all other people on the earth, we know that our Heavenly Father is merciful. We've received His mercy He's loved us in spite of ourselves. He's granted His mercy to us. Shouldn't we, above all people, walk in mercy as a reflection of what our Heavenly Father has done for us? One writer describes mercy as exuberant kindness. Exuberant kindness. And isn't that really what the Lord God has showered down upon us? His exuberant kindness, although we don't deserve it at all. This is His unmerited favor toward us. And throughout the Word of God, we see, uh, again, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we see where we are instructed to live our lives with this continual attitude of mercy. Not limited to some, given here, but not given here. No, we are called to live our lives with an attitude of mercy. And part of mercy's demonstration in our life is lived out in these very next statements of Jesus in what we just read. Because we have a heart of mercy, these ideas of not judging, not condemning, and being able to forgive someone really becomes an outflow of a heart of mercy. And these were so important in the life of the disciple that Jesus put it this way. In verse 37, he says, Judge not, and you'll not be judged. Condemn not, you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now that sounds pretty important to me. That's that's some pretty heavy stuff when you think about it. Here the word judge. It actually comes from a fairly common Greek word, krino. And from the word krino, we get our words uh, critic or criticize or Criticism or even discriminate. All of those words come from crino. Here Jesus is getting across this whole idea that we, as his children, as the children of God, that we're not to live our lives to where we form opinions rashly or unfairly. It's really that whole idea of prejudice. And prejudice wasn't born just in our culture. No, prejudice has been around forever. Let's face it, the white man discriminates against the black man. The black man forms an unfair opinion against the Asian. The Asian brings criticism against the Hispanic. The circle goes on and on and on. The academic holds a prejudice against the blue-collar worker. The urban dweller forms an opinion against the city dweller. The rich man stands as a critic against the man that's on welfare and the circle goes on and on and on. Have I hit anyone yet? The Baptist criticizes the Presbyterian. The Presbyterian forms a judgment against the charismatic. The man that struggles with pride and arrogance brings a strong judgment against a brother who's struggling in the area of pornography. The woman who struggles with gossip and envy, she judges her sister who struggles with substance abuse. How about it? Is it hitting closer home? Somebody might say, Oh, you certainly are, pastor. Exactly what you said, man. That's what so and so needs to hear. <laughs> well, me thinks you missed the point. Okay. Without Having a heart of mercy, we're really quick to criticize. Without having a heart of mercy and an attitude of mercy, we're really quick to form judgments against people. And if you are judgmental in your person and in your attitudes, you're one who has a mental attitude that's filled with criticism and it's absent of mercy. Jesus is speaking against being judgmental. And it's all too often and it's all too easy for us, again, to begin judging the the motives, to begin judging the, the inner man which only God can see. Yet we look at an individual's life and we bring judgment over things that we have no idea about. How easy it is to be critical of other people's actions without ever taking the time to stop and consider their situation, their background, or their true motives. A Native American proverb declares, never criticize a man until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. That also comes from a fairly lengthy poem by a Methodist minister back in 1895. Mary Lathrop wrote a long poem. I'm not going to share the whole thing with you, but a few points of that, a few verses of that poem says, pray, don't find fault with a man that limps or stumbles along the road, unless you've worn the moccasins he wears or stumbled beneath the same load. Don't sneer at the man that's down today unless you've felt that same blow that caused his fall and felt the shame that only the fallen have known. Don't be too harsh with the man that sins or pelt him with words or stone or disdain unless you're sure that you have no sins of your own and it's only wisdom and love that your heart contains. Jesus told us to be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. He says to judge not, and you'll not be judged. And then he goes on to say, condemn not, but you'll not be condemned. And that word condemn, when that's used here, it's with that direct meaning, that, that, that full understanding of casting a judgment against someone, pronouncing them guilty, and planning their punishment. You're you're a judge, jury, and executioner at that point when you bring condemnation against someone. And, And how can we really do that to each other and still claim that we are God's children and still say that we are following after the very heart of Christ? Christ who had the woman caught in adultery thrown before him. She was guilty. There's no doubt about it. What did Jesus say? Woman, I don't accuse you. But he did say, go and sin no more. What is your heart? How do we know what's going on in people's lives that we're able to bring such condemnation or judgment? I mean, after all, are we omniscient? Do we know all things? Do we understand every aspect of that person's situation, of their lives and of all of their actions? Do we know the innermost reasonings of their hearts? I dare say we don't even know our own hearts most of the time. Are we the ones who are omnipresent? Have we been present through all of this individual's lives? We've seen the battles that they fought, we've seen the issues that they faced. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not saying that we allow people to get away with wrongdoing. I don't believe that that's anywhere near what Jesus is speaking about here. I believe that what Jesus is dealing with here are the actions and the reactions of individuals who seem to live their lives in judgment of other people and other people's actions. And how easy that is for any of us to fall into that. For that kind of an individual, no one is ever going to measure up. No one is ever going to get it right. And that kind of individual, they never intend to take enough time to really get to know and to care about that individual, to care enough to look at the whole situation. That kind of individual doesn't have a heart of mercy. Uh, and, And it's evident in how they respond to other people through their hearts of judgment, through their actions and hearts and thoughts of condemnation. Jesus is saying here that if you are a part of his kingdom, you need to have a heart change. He goes on to say, and you need to forgive. With the knowledge of your sin, let's bring this in personal this morning. Not my brother, not my mother, but it's me, oh Lord. Let's bring it in personal. With the knowledge of your sin, past, present, and even future. Do you realize that Christ has forgiven you your sin? That he, knowing exactly who you are and who you've been and all of your tomorrows, you've been forgiven through the processes of God's plan and the work of Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us would say, hey, I made it, too bad about you. If there's no forgiveness in our hearts, can there really have ever been a work of forgiveness in our souls? If we've received forgiveness, shouldn't it change our attitude toward others? If you're unforgiving in your heart or in your attitudes towards other people, can you truly say that you've experienced that work of forgiveness in your own life? Maybe maybe perhaps the thing is that you've set up standards that even the Lord hasn't set up. You feel that some deserve forgiveness and others don't. But I don't want to be too harsh. I don't want to be too much of a, a downer on this. After all i sure that you have sufficient reason to not forgive. I mean, after what they said, or what they did, or what they said and they didn't do, perhaps you feel you have a right to not forgive. Well, maybe you can take your reasons and explain that to Chaplain Michael Whitaker, the father, or, or the husband of Ruth Ann Whitaker. Perhaps you can explain to him how not, or the reason that you have not to forgive. His wife murdered senselessly. And yet Michael continues to minister the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the county jails here. And he ministers to robbers, to thieves, to gunmen, and yes, even murderers. He continues to do that. Because he knows that God's in charge of vengeance and judgment and not him. Can you give him the reason why you're not willing to forgive? Well, maybe you feel you have a strong, you have a a valid reason to not forgive someone. Then would you be willing to share your reason of unforgiveness with that Amish community back in Lancaster County? On that very same day of that mass murder of those innocent young girls, one of the older Amish men, a grandfather actually, of one of those young girls, went to explain to the younger relatives and friends, and he says, we must not think evil toward this man. Speaking about the now dead mass murderer, the man who committed this crime, one of the other fathers of these girls said, this man had a father, and a wife, and a soul, and now he stands before a just God. Open our
0: us from within by the open word. Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are a grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. That's TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing... We pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande.
1: Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to the church website.
0: Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.